You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This is Ask Lisa, a podcast to help people understand the psychology of parenting, now in the midst of a pandemic. Psychologist Dr. Lisa Demore, author of two New York Times best-selling parenting books, takes your questions. And I'm co-host Rena Ninen, a journalist and mom of two. Some of what we talk about comes from raising children ourselves. Most of the time, I'll be getting answers to your parenting questions. So send your questions to AskLisa at DrLisaDemore.com. In this episode, we talk about how to parent when you feel like you're drowning and the world is an uncertain place. Well, you never know what to expect these days, Lisa. No, it's always one of those. Um, I kind of brace myself when I open email or like when I grab my phone to like start scrolling on social media. There is this sense of like, okay, what am I going to find? Yeah. You know, I always feel like all my life I've been swimming like against the current and now I'm just like riding the wave here and seeing where it takes me. But sometimes you just get tired of, of not knowing what's coming, right? Yeah. Yeah. And and also feeling like the need to supervise. Like mm-hmm. I, I feel mm-hmm. like I have to sort of supervise what's going on in the news. And yeah. I, um, I've, I guess I've felt that way off and on, you know, but a lot these days. I feel like I'm somehow responsible for monitoring what is happening. Well, because you want to know and you feel like minute by minute anything could change. But I also feel like I've got to set some boundaries because it just kind of takes over. You know, this sense, you know, I'm talking about water and drowning. Um, One of the letters we got in, I want to get right to, it actually talks about this. It says, Dear Lisa, I feel like I'm drowning. My kids are home learning remotely. I'm unemployed, trying to find work. Every time I hear the news, it's all about COVID rates going up, uncertainty about where our country is going, and no sign of school starting back up in person. The mommy network I once had is gone. I took for granted sitting on the sidelines at soccer games and chatting with parents. I even missed the annoying moms at the PTA planning meeting. (laughs) That's actually funny. (laughs) It's funny. I feel so all alone. I'm trying my best to hold it together for the kids. I, I feel so anxious about finding a job. Anxious about who will win on election day and when will our lives return to normal? How can I keep my head above water when I feel like I'm drowning? I don't suffer from depression. Is this depression I'm feeling? Adding to my anxiety with fall in the air, I worry about falling into a deep depression when winter comes. How do I make sure I don't get to that place? How do I feel reassured and less anxious when all I can feel is the uncertainty? Oof. Where do you want to start, Rena? You know what stood out to me, though, that kind of actually surprised me is how do you hold it together for your kids, right? I hadn't thought about that. 
you know, is there a point? I mean, she's, she's juggling a lot as a parent, a lot, and the financial pressure on top of that. But when is it okay for your kids to see you failing or to see you struggling? Is that, is that a bad thing? Not necessarily. Um, and sometimes it may not even be avoidable. You know, we're all together. There's so much happening. Um, this mom is under so much strain that it, it just may not be realistic to expect that we can always keep sort of a brave face as parents in this, that our kids may see us feeling worried or worn down by the pandemic. And I would actually, if I have to choose, and I think I have to choose between a parent being able to fake it really well and a parent being honest about the ways in which it's very, very hard I'd actually take the honest parent because I know kids can tell when we're faking it. And I think that may actually be more unsettling to children to sort of know that, um, you know, that what they're seeing isn't real. But then we have the problem or the challenge of kids seeing us in pain and mm-hmm. seeing us worrying mm-hmm. and I guess my answer is it's okay to a degree. It's frightening to kids if they feel like their parents are falling apart. It can be okay to good for kids to see us be honest about having a hard time and see us then cope effectively with our own distress about that hard time. You know, say, I feel really down you know, should we watch a show together or I feel really down? Yeah, I'll take a hug, you know, things like that. Not making kids feel like they're responsible for the parents' distress or are obliged to try to fix the parents' distress. But I think we can and should show kids the truth about this being hard on grown-ups, also. But be careful not to leave them feeling like the parents don't have their hands on the wheel anymore mm. Or the kid is responsible for helping the parent feel better. Hmm. That's a lot of pressure for a kid to feel if you've got to lift up mom and dad and be a kid. And... Yeah, it's not fair. It's not, it's not fair. fair. And and I get it that we are isolated. And that's actually something else this mom mentions is the isolation um, that people are feeling in their parenting. And so I can see how even well-meaning parents could find themselves leaning on their kids in new ways. But I think we want to be really careful about that. I want to get to the isolation in a moment, but I want to ask you, what if as a parent, you feel like you're just doing a bad job, right? Because it's a lot of extra pressure that has been added on us as parents. Nobody talks about this, but there's a lot more that we have to do and you're around each other all the time. But what if you feel like you're just not adequate enough in your parenting because you've got a ton of other stuff to have to sort out as well. Mm, Yeah, I I actually, I'm feeling that way fairly often these days. And mostly it's just I'm super busy. Yeah. And so even though I'm home with my daughters, because their school district isn't open yet, I feel like I can be quite absent and then feel guilty about it because I think, oh my gosh, I've got these two kids who are doing this incredible job of like toughing out school at home. And I'm pretty MIA, (laughs) you know, like I'm sort of in the house, but I don't feel very present. 
But let's talk really about what a bad job looks like. You know, as I often find as a psychologist, I can be like, well, I can't tell you how to get it right, but I can definitely tell you how to get it wrong. Okay, <laughs> so what would be a bad job? Here are the things I don't want parents doing. I don't want parents leaning on their kid for emotional support beyond, sure, I'll take a hug. You know, I think that that seems fair. Um, I don't want parents being out of control in front of their kids. And by out of control, I mean like sobbing, weeping, or out of control, angry, or having icky fights, you know, with anyone, you know, spouse, partner, anyone. Um, Obviously, we don't want parents mistreating kids or guilting them into good behavior. Shame is always off the table for me. So once those things are off the table, (laughs) I might think of a few others, but like that's my main list. The rest is the variety of family life. And this is a really hard time. And we are so in the dirty middle of it, right? Like this has been Mm -hmm. going on forever. And we Mm -hmm. do not yet know (laughs) where or when the exit strategy is coming. So I, I, I do like to think we'll actually look back on these particular months and weeks as like, in some ways, the worst of it, that it was the most disrupted, least certain. We didn't know when the end was coming. We didn't know how it was going to come. We were worn down already. Like, let's just give ourselves that, that this is a rough phase of a rough time in broad scope. And so maybe we're not at our best. If we can steer clear of the really, you know, for me, the no-goes, that list of no-goes, I think the rest is doing our best, um, being present when we can be when we can be present. And then what I would say is not walking around feeling guilty all the time. Mm. Um, that's something I have observed as a psychologist is like pretty unhelpful stance in parenting. <laughs> like so there's a place for guilt if you've like, you know, done something you shouldn't have done, you know, talk to your kid in a way you shouldn't have spoken to them or leaned on them in ways that were inappropriate, then I think there's guilt to be had where you feel bad and the feeling bad keeps you from making the same mistake and you apologize and then you don't make the same mistake. So guilt when there's a true misdeed, I think is a good thing. But you, you've you had this and I've had this as a mom too, where like our work has taken us away for periods of time and, you know, you could feel a lot of guilt about it. You know what I mean, Rena? Like, talk to me yeah. about, like, how you negotiated that as a mom, because you and I have both had to do that. And I think that's actually right down the middle of what we want to talk about here. Yeah. I don't wallow in guilt. Like, I acknowledge if I – and I'm more aware of it now because I, I have incredible amounts of time with my kids that I'm loving. You know, I, I often talk about in the podcast, I, I used to be on the 7.30 a.m. train, you know, heading out and then coming back at about 8 p.m. from the city. And I'm this window of all this opportunity of being with my kids. My mom often jokes, she's like, the next job you get, make sure you're able to be home for dinner with the kids. (laughs) And, you know, I'm really understanding. Of course, I know that's important. But having this time with them, you know, being able to lay down with my son at the end of the night and just go over his day and talk to him or, you know, it's made a difference. But I during the course of my career, and I've traveled to war zones and with presidents, what I have always made sure to do is do not pack guilt. And I tell myself as a working mom that, you know what, this is allowing them a certain lifestyle. You know, they're they're able to let their mom also know that she feels fulfilled. And 
I, I refuse to pack guilt. And when I do something like parenting wise that I realize, oh my gosh, I wasn't there or I should have, I acknowledge it and I learn to drop it and move on. And I, I really feel like that's been a coping mechanism for me. I don't wallow in guilt. I think that's right. And and I arrived at the same conclusion around my travel where I was like, oh, man, I feel like I could feel really guilty about not being available in certain ways. And then I got to the place where I was like, first of all, I'm raising two daughters and I have a career that's going well. And they should watch me lean into that. They should watch me have a career and go where my career is taking me. Um, and I also over time have watched families where guilt was a really major factor in parenting. And the example I think of that's most ready for me is the idea of like divorces where parents feel really guilty about the divorce. And so then they try to cancel it out with indulgence. Mm. And and so that for me, in my clinical work, I always have kept a hawkish eye for because it, I've never liked that dynamic of we feel so bad about the divorce so you can have, you know, triple birthday. Mm. Um, that that to me doesn't feel, and it's funny, it's hard for me even to put into words like why that doesn't feel like a great place to operate from as a parent. Other than that, I think it lets, it means you're indulging your kids and you're also sometimes the other way that guilt would show up is the parents would let kids get away with stuff they should totally not be getting away with. So what's a better mechanism then? Because I think it's so easy when you feel guilt to be like, oh, let's go to the ice cream place or let's go here. And you know, maybe some of that is good, right? Yeah. But how do you, instead of being overindulgent, and you feel the guilt, what's a better way to deal with that? So here's here's what I tried to do. <laughs> it's funny. Like, I always try to be really honest when I'm toggling between, like, here's the received wisdom of my field. And, like, here's me trying to make it as a mom. Okay, so this is just <laughs> me trying to make it as a mom. What I would try to do when I was traveling is to get as much sleep as I could while traveling and to come home in good shape. Mm-hmm. And so that when I was home, I was on point. I was available to hang out. I was available to do fun stuff. I wasn't napping. You know, I, 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 that was the part I worried about is that I'd be gone for a couple of days and then I didn't want to come home and then be out of commission for another two days trying to pull myself together. So the way that I would try to negotiate that, and I'm actually now in a new way. I'm home all the time, but I also can feel quite absent at times. But I try to negotiate that is to think, okay, this is my job. I care about my job. I want to do my job. I want my girls to see me ha- doing my job and doing it in a way that's really a joy for me and meaningful. And then when I'm off the clock, I am off the clock. I am there. I'm available. Mm-hmm. I'm present. And I am parenting in earnest, right? Calling kids on stuff they shouldn't be doing, making myself available for fun stuff that's spontaneous. That, for me, is how I've negotiated that. And it's I'm realizing as we talk it through that's also how I'm negotiating it right now. Hmm. I, I'm I'm doing really nice breakfasts because that's when I can be available. And then I'm often checked out for a lot of the day. But I feel like, you know, in the morning, we've got this time. It is defined. It is clear. And I am not going back and forth between my computer and my kid. I am like really there. And then I'm really not there. <laughs> I'm curious what those really nice breakfasts look like. Well, I make them to order. Ooh. And um, it's mostly my nine-year-old. So this morning she had a soft-boiled egg and a half an English muffin and some tea. You know, like nice. I love doing it. Well, and the funny thing is we have this kitchen island and I'm on the small side and my daughters are on the small side. So my nine-year-old still likes to eat 
breakfast sitting up on the kitchen island. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, so we yeah. do that and we're eye to eye. And it's actually one of my favorite parts of the day. Oh, that is really nice. It's cold cereal at my home. I might have to rethink that. <laughs> <laughs> I might have to rethink the start of the day. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back on the Ask Lisa podcast. So I'm really starting to feel it in my mid-40s, just how much stress, hormone fluctuation, and the lack of sleep can really affect the way your skin looks, from dry skin to dark spots and acne. This is why I love One Skin. They can really help. They've got a simple skincare routine that tackles skin issues at the cellular level. I love that this is an all-women team of scientists. One Skin's developed a proprietary peptide called OS1 that's scientifically validated to actually improve the health of your skin beneath the surface. No irritation, no complicated multi-step routine. It's so simple. I really have felt the difference in how my face looks after using this product. One Skin is the world's first skin longevity company by focusing on the cellular aspect of aging. One Skin keeps your skin looking and acting younger for longer. So get started today. Try it out with 15% off using the code AskLisa at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with the code AskLisa. And after your purchase, they'll ask where you heard about them. Please support our show and tell them the Ask Lisa podcast sent you. I'm all for healthy habits, but I don't trust quick fixes. This is why I love Daily Harvest. They take all of the work out of eating well, and all I have to do is enjoy. Daily Harvest makes it so easy for me to eat in the nutritious and delicious ways that I like. They take the planning, the prep, the cleanup out of cooking, and they deliver meals that are packed with vegetables and fruits straight to my door. The other thing I love about them is that it's not the same old boring meals. I love their dragon fruit and lime smoothie. I also love their butternut squash and rosemary soup. They also have this wonderful herb squash and asparagus risotto. Create healthy habits that last with Daily Harvest. For a limited time only, go to dailyharvest.com slash asklisa to get $30 off your first box plus free shipping. That's dailyharvest.com slash asklisa for $30 off your first box and free shipping. dailyharvest.com slash asklisa. I was recently watching an interview of the wife of a world leader, and in the middle of the interview, she reaches over to pull her bra strap up, and I thought, boy, this is something all women everywhere are struggling with. This is why I absolutely love Honey Love. I have the crossover bra, which is just so functional, but it feels so good on. I feel like I've got the support without feeling like I've got this heavy-duty bra on. I've been through all the bras. The elastic wears out, the underwire pinches into your skin, you have to hand wash some, you can only wash in this type of detergent, and I just wanted something that takes out all the fuss and will support me day in and day out. Honey Love's not just supporting women, it's empowering women. So treat yourself to the best bra on the market and save 20% off at honeylove.com slash askalisa. You can use our exclusive link to get 20% off. That's honeylove.com slash askalisa to find your perfect fit. And after you purchase, they're going to ask you where you heard about them. We hope you support the show and tell them Askalisa sent you. Honeys, you deserve this. Free the pain and discomfort and keep the support with Honey Love. Welcome back to the Ask Lisa podcast. You know, the other point to this letter that is really striking that I feel like no one's talking about is losing your mommy or your parenting network, you know, and, and that yeah. feeling of isolation. It was funny. We laughed about the PTA. Everyone knows the stories of PTA <laughs> and, you know, working together with some of the crazy moms out there and dads. But um, how do you, like, it is a loss. 
you you can't, and especially when we hunker down, which many people are expecting will happen this winter. Some people have formed pods. Like it's been my reason I've been able to survive is my pod. But for folks that don't have that, how do you make up for that loss of the mommy network? It's such a great point. It's such a huge point. And it's it's one of those things that like you don't miss it till it's gone. And I think the, this is one of those things where you start to unpack in retrospect mm. how much useful data you pick up if you happen to be able to go get your kid from school. You know that in my neighborhood, the elementary schools are, you know, is is walkable and it's not unusual for parents to be able to wait outside on the front lawn for their kids to come out of the elementary school. And so not only do you see your kid coming out of the elementary school, you see all the other kids coming out of the elementary school. And so you're getting data just about like, how do kids come out of the school? You know, like, what's the look on their faces? And then, of course, there's a lot of standing around talking while you wait for kids to come out. And there's so much information and so much sort of trading of information. Like, are you guys doing soccer? What do you guys think about this? Or is your kid doing this? Or what's going on? And and what I realize, of course, you, you only see this when you no longer have these kind of casual interactions. You only see their value when they're absent. Is there so much useful yard sticking going on? You know, mm-hmm. there can be really unuseful yard sticking, mm-hmm. but really useful yard sticking of like, you know, moms who maybe have lots of kids are like, oh, yeah, no, my kid did that in the fourth grade. You know, like those kinds of conversations. Yeah. And I actually, it's interesting, I just heard something like this from a mom of a ninth grader saying, you know, like she couldn't get a read on whether the challenge her ninth grade daughter was having was typical and expectable or grounds for concern. And she actually said to me, yeah, no, like I used to just like see moms a lot more. There just used to be a lot more time to ask if their kid was struggling with the same thing my kid was struggling with. Yeah. And the loss of that is significant, mm. really significant. I hadn't thought of that until I read it. And and you think about all these other opportunities. I mean, sports is way down. The activities we do are way down, you know, uh, carpooling with other parents. You get a chance to sort of talk and connect and even play dates. I mean, people are just so cautious about interacting and that's been cut off. And the feeling alone, you can be in a house of like eight people and still feel so alone. The isolation is striking, you know, that how isolated we feel. And it's interesting, Rena, when I think about our email box, you know, so often the messages are like, thank you so much. I thought I was the only one. Mm. Or, you know, thank you so much. I didn't realize other families were going through this. And it's interesting because, you know, so much of my long-form work has been on teenagers. And that's a time of life where I think parents often feel quite isolated because you don't talk with other people about your teenager the way you do with your young kid, you know, often just out of respect for your teenager's privacy. And it's actually one of the really um, challenging and painful aspects of parenting a teenager is you're like, uh, is this going on in everybody else's house too? Right. And now we have this really incredible situation where That extends to all ages because people really aren't seeing each other. And the challenges are bigger than they've ever been. Everybody has kids who don't want to do the work. Everybody Mm -hmm. has kids Mm -hmm. who are um, either missing their friends or pushing for social stuff that feels uncomfortable for the parent or feeling sorely left out. I mean, the, the range of challenges that are now common 
is huge. I mean, kids are feeling it, parents are feeling it, but the networks that hold us together are absent. Based on your work, I mean, I know this is uncharted territory, and I'm sure there'll be tons of research, but in this moment, trying to project ahead, I know we talk about it often, like, what do you think you really have to worry about the most? The mom's got so much going on here, right? What really matters right now? And especially when we're feeling the uncertainty on so many levels, it's hard not to be projecting that or, or, you know, have that around you all the time, right? Yeah. So what really matters, I would say, is feeling that you've got your head above water and comfortably so, right? Like, I don't want parents to feel like they're drowning. Okay, so then what really matters is figuring out what it takes to make that happen. And when we lose our networks, when we lose the supports, when we lose the things that were helping us feel that way before, we just didn't pay attention to them, we have to then compensate for those losses. So one one thing, this is self-serving to us, but one thing, somebody sent me a message saying that she and her mommy friends had started to have podcast talks where they were getting together in their backyard to talk about our podcast. <laughs> I um, love that. I know. Of course, I was like really, really delighted to hear that. But that <gasps> idea funny. of rather than like the burden of a book club, yeah, you know, yeah. They, they would listen to an episode and then get together in their backyard, her backyard and have a conversation about that. I'm like, OK, there's the front lawn of the school. Wow. Right There is a structured way of getting with other parents and having, you know, 25-minute book club or, you know, book that you had to read, not book, podcast episode, and then getting that support and getting that camaraderie. So I think that is one example of, of compensating. I think it may be being much more deliberate about building people back into our lives. I've talked about walking for exercise with a friend a couple times yes, a week. that's great. It's the glue that is holding me together. I will Mm. say that. I mean, I just look forward to it and I save up topics for that. But it wasn't something I was doing so systematically before. So to put um, a punchline on it, Rena, it's when stresses go up, supports have to go up. That is just how it works. If stresses go up and they cannot be brought down, and right now these stresses cannot be brought down, then supports have to increase. And um, I know it's really hard to feel creative and inventive when you already feel like roadkill. But I think that's what is in order here. So those are the ideas I have about supports. Like what else? Like let's give people more than, you know suggestion that they make a podcast party. (laughs) (laughs) What else, what else would you, what else would work for you or what else is working for you? You know, it's interesting uh, for me that has been transformative and is the reason I am intact. In our neighborhood, we've started a little workout gym, which is like everything to us. Mm -hmm. It's outdoors. It's outdoors. We invested in some kettlebells and we found workouts online and it's essentially a pod that our kids are sort of the same age and we're working out. And it is a chance for us to see each other, to talk, mm-hmm. but we feel really good because we've all canceled our gym memberships mm-hmm. and we're able to work out. And I've also identified like I'm hunkering down with this pot. Like we're, we're just kind of in isolation with us. And if it gets down to this, like I feel comfortable with these people because they take quarantining very seriously. Mm-hmm. Exercise is important to me. And I will tell you all my life, I was not like some athlete or it is something I found later in life. And I do it because it helps me mentally. And these are, they're my rock. You know, these, they've helped me through everything. And finding that exercise was important to me. But hearing you say this, like I never thought about it. You've got to find your 
soccer sideline. Yeah. The parents that yeah. sat on the sideline that you saw at school pickup and at, at sporting events with your kid, you've got to recreate that and find a way to connect, even if it's once every two weeks outdoors somewhere. Find your soccer sideline. What it reminds me of is, in the literature is um, the research on vacations, which is the vacation itself, you know, most people are like, yeah, it was fine. Looking forward to the vacation is actually a huge psychological bump. So, you know, it sounds like your workout group or, you know, is working really well for you. But even knowing it's on the calendar yeah. is actually psychologically supportive. So huh. you get sort of a double, you know, a double bump from it. One is like, okay, I have this to look forward to, this topic that's on my mind. I have a place where I know I'm going to talk about it. So just because I don't have the meeting right today, it doesn't matter. I don't feel alone. And then there is the second bump of actually having the conversation. Okay, but Rena, what are you going to do in the winter, right? And this mom asks yes. about the winter. Like, okay, this so is what, what you're describing me. sounds very yeah. outdoors. It is. And that's why it's such a safe space and we all feel good working out. You know, we we disinfect and have purchased tons of disinfectant spray for all the equipment and we have our uh-huh. own yoga mats and, and it, it's really been wonderful. But we're all worried about winter and we're thinking we're going to clean out a garage and do it there. Then you, it'll make you work out even harder because you don't want to be cold. But... This mom talks about how do you get past the fear of winter? And that is, you know, I'm a Florida girl. I am, (laughs) I I just, I want to move in with my parents come winter, but that's not really an option, right? Yeah. What do you, how do you cope with that? Because I feel paralyzed sometimes thinking about it. I'm feeling anxious about it because I live in Cleveland. (laughs) So it's going to be, you know, we're going to have a winter, I think. Yeah. Um, So for starters, I bought on Amazon for $180, I bought a fire pit. Um, And I haven't put it together yet, and I'm keeping my eye out for firewood. But I thought, well, that's a start, and I'm going to – okay, we always talk about Costco. I think we talk about food almost every time. We do. Um, I plan to go pretty hard at their s'mores supplies, (laughs) and um, I have this sort of scheme of this is how my teenager is going to be able to stay connected to her friends, and my 9-year-old is going to stay connected to her friends, and how I'm going to stay connected to my friends – I'm worried about walking. I'm worried about the weather. Um, I'm not quite sure how I'm going to compensate, but it, I mean, I, I need to think it through. I actually have snowshoes, so maybe I'll make sure my friend has snowshoes, and um, we may just hit it that way if the weather's bad. I don't like winter. I don't like being outside at winter. Yeah. The only thing I like is, you know, my husband's really great at building a fire. With kids, we do a lot of fires, and literally I sit practically inside the fire, <laughs> <laughs> you know? But how do you cope? And I wonder if the reverse is true. You talk about the psychology of knowing your vacation's coming, getting excited, or knowing you're going to see your group of friends and getting excited. Like, I feel like the reverse is true. Like, I'm depressed thinking about the coming. Yeah. No, it's hard not to feel down about it. Well, okay. So this is, I'm sure, probably a little bit too Pollyanna-ish. But it's okay. You're from Florida. I'm from Colorado. Um, And I grew up playing in the snow. For us, winter was playtime. And so actually, we're pretty well equipped around here with snowshoes and then cross-country skis that we take to a nearby golf course that's pretty cool about letting us cross-country ski there. And we have sleds. And I come from the philosophy is there's no bad weather, there's just bad gear. (laughs) And the more gear you have, the happier you are. There are some days in February in Cleveland that defy even that. But I guess that's what I would say. Like, all right, guys, gear. Like, get your gear. Like, we're just going to, you know, find a way to make this work because we have to be outside and we have to see humans. And um, there are some days that are probably not possible, but let's just say for now that with the right gear, Mm. we may be able to get through winter. Mm. 
And, you know, I have to say with our workout group, we've had friends from Texas and, and California zoom in. And it's also a way to connect with other people where you can do that, you know, yeah. and, and hold each other accountable and get to see each other and have something on your calendar. I love that. So we started talking about charities each week. And I think we should call this for children everywhere as we think about our I love kids. That. I love it. And so the charity I want us to focus on this week actually has to do with my hometown. It's called the Women's Bean Project, and it's centered in Denver, where I grew up. And it's a program that helps women who have been unemployed um, gain employment through actually working for a group that puts together a whole variety of food gifts. So it's, you know, Mm. bean-based things, some of them like chilies and stuff like that, but actually a really amazing array of food options that are beautifully packaged. The group is actually very comprehensive in terms of doing everything that needs to be done to help women back into the workplace and feel comfortable moving back into the workplace and really support them. And even though it's actually not about children directly, one thing we know is that when a mom is struggling, kids are struggling. So for this week in particular, and maybe even thinking about winter and thinking about chili and um, thinking about how we take care of kids. And also this episode, we talk so much about taking care of moms. And so Women's Bean Project feels especially appropriate. So I love we, this. It's good. It's good. And it's I will great. say, it's often what I do for gifts for the oh, holidays. So what a great idea. We'll start thinking about the holidays, but it's actually giving gifts from the Women's Bean Project has always been my favorite thing to do. So we will have um, the link to that in the show notes. And um, I love them. And I love their products. Oh, I love that your, your personal connection to them as well. I think that's really great. I, and I love that we're doing this. And as you mentioned in the show description of the podcast, every week you can find the charity that we mentioned. It's, it's right there. And uh, be sure to check us out on Instagram. I think we're going to start putting them up on Instagram and our Twitter accounts as well, which is at... Ask Lisa podcast for both accounts. So if you want more, we'll have it up there as well. Um, I I love this. You know, it's hard when you're in a dark place, but giving back always makes you feel good. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So what's your parenting to go this week? So here's my parenting to go. When we talk about stress in psychology, what we've always recognized is that it's dynamic, meaning you can't really articulate how stressful something is unless you're also looking at the supports that are available. So people can handle pretty big stresses if they have adequate supports. And people actually become overwhelmed by even smaller, moderate stresses if they are not able to access the supports they deserve. So if you're feeling or your kid's feeling like your stresses are pretty big, pivot your attention to your supports. How can you add to them? How can you shore them up? What can you do to increase the level of supports you have in your life in order to compensate for the increased levels of stress. Find your soccer sideline, even if it has to move to your backyard during this pandemic. Exactly. I love it. Thanks so much, Lisa. I'll see you next week. See you next week. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to the Ask Lisa podcast so you get the episodes just as soon as they drop. And send us your questions to asklisa at drlisademore.com. And now a word from our lawyers. The advice provided on this podcast does not constitute or serve as a substitute for professional psychological treatment, therapy, or other types of professional advice or intervention. If you have concerns about your child's well-being, consult a physician or mental health professional. 
If you're looking for additional resources, check out Lisa's website at drlisademore.com. We'll see you next week.